Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today, and if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. I want to tell you a couple stories. The first one doesn't have anything to do with my message. It's just <laughs> too good to not tell you. We have, have, we've had a bunch of students in uh, Orlando, Florida, I think last week or the week before on a missions trip. We didn't get to do missions trips, obviously, till later on in the year, and so some cities are opening, so we've, at the last minute, sent about, I don't know, a few hundred students out. And we sent some students to Orlando. I think there was like 20 or 30, and they were, um, they were ministering to this man who had just come out of a bar who I think was not saved, a few of them, and they were praying for him, and they got this word that the Lord's gonna bless him, like, right now. And the emphasis was like, right now. And so, you know, the guy was kind of like not believing and they're going, no, no, the Lord's going to bless you right now. Like not tomorrow, not the next day, not a year from now, right now. And as they said that, a black Escalade drove around the corner and rolled down their window and threw a wad of cash at the guy. Like a big wad, a large wad of cash hit him right in the face. And the guy goes, what just happened to me? And you know, it went everywhere. So they're all picking it up. And, and there's a bunch of people picking it up. I, I, I assume it's mostly our students. They're picking it up. And they give it to him. And he goes, what's going on? And they said, we told you the Lord wants to bless you right now. Like right now. And as they're saying right now again, the Escalade drives around again. Rolls down the window and throws another bunch of cash. Hits the guy in the chest this time. Money goes everywhere. And this part of the story is a little unclear to me quite how it happened, but I think some of the money blew down the street and, and the guy's like, what's going on with me? And they're like, the Lord loves you and he's trying to bless you and you need to receive it. And, and, uh, and this a lady down the street, I think, that, I think it was someone not connected to our team, was gathering up the money too. And he said to the guys, if she gives me the money, I'll know it's the Lord. Well, the lady gathers up the money she had and brings it over and said, I believe this is yours. And so anyway, the guy's just like totally rocked. He doesn't know what to do. And just then the black Escalade drives around the corner again and throws another bunch of money at, hits the guy again. And the guy just falls down on his knees and receives the Lord. <laughs> I mean, that's just too good to not tell. I was trying to work it into my message and I'm like, no, no, that just has to be told as a story. Isn't that amazing? Like right there. I just received that from myself right there in Jesus' name. Listen, you can receive it from yourself because God blessing me doesn't take anything from you. Just bless. God's got more than enough. He's just very wealthy. He's very, I've been talking to him. He's like way wealthier than I thought. The story I want to tell you is also about Florida and with our students and what, as they were there. And I want to talk about the responsibility of Reformation. And they were, um, they were in a van. I think it may have been a whole uh, van of, of, of ladies, young ladies. And they were driving along, and the Holy Spirit hit the van. And I think they were worshiping and just, just talking about God. And the Holy Spirit hits the van, and so powerfully that the driver can't drive. It's like totally intoxicated, like Acts 2 in the Holy Spirit. And so they pull over. I think it might have been a girl driving. They pull over. And Jordan uh, is behind them, and, and he's leading the trip. Um, and, and, uh, and so he, he lets someone drive his car, and he gets in the van, and he drives the car to the hotel where they were going. 
And when they get there, they go to get the girls out of the car. And these are young, really skinny girls. Not the ones that have this kind of... Don't go there. Kathy's like, don't go there. Talking about the glory. And they go, to, they go to get the girls out of the van, and they can't lift them. Like, they literally can't lift them. And so another guy comes over, and two of them can't lift them. Three, it takes six guys to lift one girl. One skinny girl. And so they finally, like, how are we going to get these girls to the room? So they go get luggage, these luggage carts. <laughs> and they roll the luggage carts out, and they get the girls, six of them, pick them up, put them on the luggage cart, and roll them into their hotel room. You can't even make this stuff up. See, I used to think I was overweight, but now I know it was just the glory. Because the word glory is the word kabod, K-A-B-A-D, and it means to be heavy, weighty, burdensome, abounding, becoming fierce in honor, and becoming heavy. And what I'm getting at, and the way, reason why I use that as an opening, because I feel like that that was a prophetic act, not just for those ladies in that van, and not just for that team. I feel like the, the glory of the Lord is actually falling on our movement. And listen, it's probably falling on several other movements, so let me be clear. I'm talking to us today, so I'm going to address us, but I believe it's something, I believe if you watch... If you're watching the news to see what God's doing, you're missing the point because I believe that the glory of the Lord is rising in the midst of this darkness. And I, and I, and I, and I think that it won't be you know, just people that, when I say glory, I'm not just talking about the manifestation that happened to them where they, they can't walk and they're you know, incapacitated. But I mean, when the glory fell on Solomon, he became smart. When it, you know, when it fell on Samson, he became strong. You get the idea. It's like, I'm just not talking about a manifestation. I'm just talking about the presence of God is so weighty on people that it actually causes them to act in ways that isn't normal. Uh, and I'm excited for what God's doing, and I'm also concerned. Why don't you turn to Lurk? Luke, Lurk. Turn to Lurk. And if you can find that book, you are in the wrong Bible. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. While uh, this is uh, Jesus speaking to uh, the people around him, including his disciples, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And he said, a noble man went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 Midas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. Let's go down to verse 15. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves, to whom he had given the money, be called so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made you ten more Midas. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Mina, your master has made five Midas. And he said to him, Also, you will be over five cities." Another came saying, Master, here is your mina which I kept and put in a handkerchief. For I was afraid because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to them, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you not know that I was an exacting man, taking up where I did not lay down and reaping where I did not sow? Why then did you not put the money in the bank and having come, I would have collected it with interest? 
And he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. But I tell you that everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. This is a powerful parable, and I actually wrote a book around this parable, uh, around this parable and the parable of the, of the uh, talents. And I want to tell you just a little bit about that quickly, but then get to the main point. The, uh, a mita is uh, $500, about $500. It's a very little bit of money. And uh, I was taken by the contrast between the story of the talents, which almost seems like the same story, and the story of the minas. In the story of the talents, a talent is about 30000 American dollars. And so the man who was given five talents, he would be given $150,000, and he made $150,000 more. He doubled the money. The one was given three talents, he would be given $90,000, and so on and so forth. But when they came, when the Lord ordered them to give an account for what they had done with the money, they came back, and the two that had done well said to the Lord, Lord, you gave us five talents, and see, I have made you five more. I have made you five more. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. I will put you over more things. The same with the man who had three and made three more. Well done, I will put you over many things. But these guys were all given each one one mita, a small amount of money, $500. And when they came to give an account to their master, they didn't say, master, you gave me a mita and I have made you 10 more. They said, Master, your mina has made you 10 more minas. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Listen to this. I will put you over 10 cities. Here's the main point probably of the entire message. Did you notice that the reward was more responsibility? (laughs) You didn't get what I just said. It hasn't sunk in yet. Did you notice that the reward for doing good with money is I'm going to give you responsibility? As a matter of fact, you were over 500 bucks. I made you responsible 500 bucks, but you figured out how to make money, make money. And when you, if you can make money, make money. If you can create, create an ecosystem, not, Lord, I made this for you, but, Lord, your money made you money. If you can make money, make money, the Lord says, then you should be over cities. And did you notice the man's over 500 bucks, but his next promotion is 10 cities? Not one city, 10 cities. And what I'm getting at is that oftentimes God gives us a reward and we think that we are overwhelmed. Okay. I'm saying, did you notice that God's reward is responsibility? Lord, I want the favor of the Lord on you. Solomon got the favor of the Lord. Like Solomon was the wisest man in the world. He had the favor of the Lord on him. He had so much wisdom that people came from all over to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Was, the good news is Solomon is the wisest man in the world. And the other good news is now people are coming to hear him and he has no free time. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, The challenge is we often complain about the reward, not understanding that the responsibility is a reward. We get the privilege of feeding more people, having the responsibility for more cities, and etc. It is quiet in here. Luke chapter 9. Let's go there. uh, Jesus has just given the, uh, the disciples power over all the power of the enemy in the first chapter and in the first verse, and he sends them out 
to do signs and wonders and miracles and say the kingdom's come near you. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, say the kingdom's come near you. And they've just come back and they're like excited. They're like, wow, this was amazing. Our ministry was so amazing. And he, and he says this to them. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all they had done. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethesda. But the crowds became aware that, that of this and followed him. Walking him then, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing all who were had who all who had needs of healing, all who had needed healing. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away that we may go to the, so that they may go to the surrounding villages and countrysides and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in this desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have only five loaves and two fishes. Unless perhaps we go and buy food for these people. There were about 5,000 men. And he said to the disciples, have them sit down, in, uh, have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50. And they did so. And they had them all sit down. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them. And kept giving, to the disciples, kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up and, tw- and filled 12 baskets. It's interesting to me because um, Luke refers to them as apostles. This is the, the story, obviously, the feeding of the 5,000. And this is told, I think this is the only or one of the only two parables that is told by all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell this story. It's interesting. I love John. Uh, John puts this, uh, this little spin on it because uh, he, he, let me read it to you. Uh, a large crowd gathers, same, the same basic story. Uh, Jesus looks up at the crowd. He sees their, how, how big the crowd is. And it says this, verse 5 of chapter 6 of John. Jesus, lifting up his eyes, seeing a large crowd was coming, was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread that, so that all these people may eat? And he was saying this to test him, for he himself knew what he's intending to do. And Philip answered him, saying, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone just to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, here's a lad who has five barley loaves and two fishes, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said the same thing, have them sit down, um, have them sit in in, uh, groups of uh, 50. I I love this story because um, the disciples who Luke calls apostles, what I'm getting at, I love that Luke established the fact that they weren't just disciples following Jesus. These were actually leaders. And after they had been there all day and they had, been, they had just come back from this big ministry trip where they're giving Jesus an account of all the stuff and they're hoping for some away time, Jesus takes them away. Actually, they go to a secluded place, but the crowds find out and the multitudes come and they're all coming and Jesus is, leaves the, I mean, he, he leaves his place of rest and he, He's healing the sick and he's doing all miracles and he's preaching to them. And the disciples at the end of the day, they're just done. They're exhausted. And they're like, get rid of these people. Go, go tell them to go into the villages and get some food. They're, and Jesus looks at them and says, you give them something to eat. And the reason why I think that's really uh, profoundly powerful right now is because I feel the Lord saying, you give them something to eat. And I feel like we're like, oh, Lord, get rid of them. We have all these issues and problems and challenges. And I feel like the Lord's like, you give them something to eat. And I love um, this, 
this thing that, uh, that, that John adds because he includes this conversation that the Lord has with Philip. And it says he's testing Philip and he says to Philip, where are we going to get food for all these people? And Philip's like, I agree with you, Lord. And I love Andrew because Andrew evidently overhears this conversation that the Lord is having with Philip. And all the Lord's trying to do is test Philip. God, Jesus has been doing signs and wonders, multiplying the, the water to wine. He's already done that in chapter 4 of, of John. And they're seeing Jesus do all kinds of miracles. And Jesus is testing Philip to see if Philip gets it. And Philip's like, yeah, you're right. Oh, can, if we just, you know what? If we had 200 denarii, we could not get enough denarii. <laughs> denarii. Not, yeah, anyway, not the Iraqi denarii, but whatever. Anyway, if we had $200 or $2,000 or whatever that equals, we couldn't give everyone a communion cup. And Andrew's overhearing this conversation and in my mind, this is, this is my, a little bit of my imagination, but I imagine Andrew's hearing the conversation that's in the Bible, and he, and he says to the Lord, well, here's a boy who's got five loaves and two fishes. And, and I think that, and then he says, well, what's that for so many? But I think he goes, and here's a, guy, a boy who has five loaves and two fishes, and Philip, I think Philip goes, and he's like, yeah, what's that for so many? But I mean, why even mention it? And first of all, I want to say, I just want to bless the mom who packs five loaves and two fishes for one boy. And I'm saying, the kid's got to be a teenager, right? Our oldest son, we would go like Burger King. He would like order five double burgers. So I'm like, okay, so we know the boy is not a little boy. He's definitely a teenager. But Andrew offers a boy's lunch for 5,000 men plus women and children, at least 10,000. Can you imagine? And going, can you imagine? Have you ever seen that big of a crowd? We were in Africa, I mean, in a field. We've been in Africa where we're preaching and there's 15 or 20,000. Just, it just looks like a, just a wall of people. And, you're, and, and who would go, well, I brought my lunch. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I like to point out that Andrew's probably the only one who really got it. Okay, where are we going? I think, did you notice that the Lord didn't take the bread and just throw it into the crowd? He didn't just like, okay, we're going to multiply the bread, you know, throwing the bread out, and here's the fish. You know, and everybody's running for the food like you see sometimes in these, you know, these give, the food giveaways. It's like the Lord actually arranges them in groups of 50. Then he gives the food, he's breaking off pieces, and you can imagine, as he's breaking off a piece, he's got a big loaf, he breaks off a piece, and the loaf, I don't know, grows back, or just keeps going, however it looks physically, and he's given it to the disciples, and the disciples are distributing the food. Are you with me at all? I'm saying, I think sometimes we think, we're so spiritual, we think that administration isn't like spiritual, and I'd like to point out that the Lord is actually distributing the food in a way that is spiritual. Like he's actually having, he actually has a plan. It's not a spontaneous like, ah, you know. The skinny people will get it. You know, it's not, it's nothing like that. In Exodus 18, why don't you turn there? I want to tell you another story. Moses has just led the children of Israel, not just led, Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. 
And they're all slaves. You have to understand, they're all slaves. 400 years of slavery. So in other words, the people who are actually in the wilderness, they don't know a, a, a Jewish person who wasn't a slave. Their grandfather, their, their father, their grandfather, their great-great-grandfather, 400 years of slavery. Can you imagine? And, you know, I always think who's leading, who you're leading, and what season you're leading them in determines how you're leading. For example, if you wanted to plant, plant a church in middle-class America, you might have one pastor for every, I don't know, 50, 500 people, 500 people. But if you wanted to plant a church in the ghetto with drug-addicted people, I'd propose you might need a pastor for every five. It's not the same thing, is my point. My point is, is your leadership has to take into account what kind of people you're leading. These people are slaves. Do you understand this? Like, they don't dream, they don't think, they, they get their identity from working hard, that's all they've ever known, and Moses is tasked with bringing slaves into a promised land. I'd propose, we're not talking about middle-class America or middle-class Europe or middle-class Asia. We're talking about slaves. And so he, is, he brings them out. So he's in the middle of the field every day, 18 hours a day, judging the people. And his father-in-law sees this whole thing going on. And you can imagine his daughter's probably saying, hey, Mo hasn't been home in months. <laughs> the children haven't seen him, you know, you know the story. It's like, you got to do something. And so Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, meets Moses and says this to him. First he tells him, you, this isn't working. Your family hasn't seen you. And he says this to him, you're going to have a nervous breakdown if you keep this up. You cannot do this. You are, you are going to exhaust yourself. And then he says this to him in verse 21. Jethro said to Moses, You shall select men out of all the people, able men who fear God, men, who, men of the truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place those, those men as leaders over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And he gives them this strategy on how to lead the people. Are, are, you, am I, are you flowing with me? You, do you know where I'm going? I'm saying God is about to reward you. It's going to look like responsibility. You're going to need... And that wisdom is going to look like a strategy. And sometimes we see a strategy as a less than. I remember years ago... I love the way we do worship now, so let me just be clear. We used to have, uh, worship leaders would have a list and they would give it to whoever's leading the meeting, which I love the way we're doing it, so let me be clear. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say, we need a list. But we used to get a list, and I remember this was probably 15 years ago. I asked this young man, I said, hey, do you have, you have a list for me? He said, no, we're going to have Holy Spirit spontaneous worship. And I, I don't know, he probably was probably fine. It was probably, you know, me, not in the greatest mood. But I just, I didn't say anything to him. But I thought to myself, you know, before you were a sperm and an egg, the Lord actually knew what songs you were going to sing. The challenge isn't like it's more spiritual because it's spontaneous, because what's spontaneous to you was planned before the foundation of the world. And sometimes what happens is we don't take time to pray before we actually do something, so spontaneous seems spiritual when actually it's dysfunctional. 
Listen, I like spontaneous, so don't get me wrong. I'm only pointing out that sometimes we spiritualize things. And sometimes we're spiritualizing our dysfunction. Sometimes people think, well, you know, I don't want administrators in the room when the visionaries are dreaming. Administrators are administrating. Administrating. We need to fly. Well, let me say this. Ephesians 1 says that there's an administration suitable for the fullness of times. And the word administration means to add to the mission. And what I'm getting at is that Kathy and I, we've been together since the dinosaurs. We own nine businesses together, started seven of them, and, and started many of the ministries in here, at least worked in many of the ministries in here. And Kathy's the administrator. And I don't want an administrator who has less faith than the visionaries. Are, are you with me? Like, I, I, I don't want, like, Moses has a plan, and we're going to have people who can reduce that to something that doesn't need God. No, no, no. We need administrators that have the gift of faith who look at what the visionaries are visionarying. <laughs> That's a new word. Write that down. Spontaneously came to me. We need administrators who actually have faith not to say, oh, we can't do that. Let me cut that down to something small. But we need administrators who can go, does it look like this? Does it look like that? How about if it's, you get the idea. We need people of faith, no matter what your gift is. And what I'm getting at is, if you have a dream with no administrators, it's like a jellyfish. <laughs> okay, I'm done ranting. My point is, sometimes we devalue things that create structure and strategy, yet the Lord used that to feed the 5,000. The Lord used that to take care of people he brought out of Egypt. It isn't just a mass of people that actually had to be organized into groups to feed them. It had to be actually organized into groups to care for them. And there were some people who were anointed for 10. There were some anointed for 50. There were some anointed for 100. And there were some anointed for 1,000. How many know you may have an anointing for 1,000 like Bill Johnson, anointed for thousands? But how many know, if you're anointed for 10, that's the same anointing, it's just the manifestation of it is different. It's no less. It's just different. So they have this model, it's beautiful and it's very helpful. But turn to Numbers chapter 11. So now the people have been in the wilderness and they're eating manna. Manna for breakfast. Manna for lunch. Manna for dinner. Manna means what is it? <laughs> it's angel food, and we are humans. You didn't get that part. I mean, I went to Wendy's just a few days ago and waited five minutes for my hamburger. I'm like, what's going on? You call this fast food. I can't, can you imagine pulling up to Wendy's? It's like manna or manna. Would you like a double manna or a manna manna? Manna shake or a manna drink or a manna? I'm like, I want a quail. <laughs> you grumbler. 
anyway, the people begin to grumble. They're like, manna everything, manna morning, manna night, manna shakes, manna manna. Like, we're just done with manna. And they're like, you know, we haven't had meat. We haven't had, you know, chicken. We haven't had, a, 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 you know, a turkey. We haven't, we haven't eaten pork. <laughs> just manna always. And so this is the first chapter, the first verses we're not reading. And Moses is just, he's just exhausted. And Moses said to God, I alone am, I alone am not able to carry all these people because it is too burdensome for me. Now, let me remind you, they have an administration structure. This is years later. They already have people over tens, people over fifties, people over hundreds. I'm trying to point out something, and people over thousands. Are you with me? And Moses says to God, I can't do, I can't do this. It's too burdensome for me. Look at the next verse. So if you're going to deal with me thus, <laughs> I love this part. So if you're going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. If I found favor in your sight, do not let me see this wretchedness. I love this. Moses says to God, God, if this is the way you're going to deal with me, do me a favor. If, I, if you really love me, kill me now. I mean, the guy is desperate. He is completely done with trying to get slaves into a palace, into a promised land. He's done. It's not the administration anymore. He's got people doing the work. He's got faithful people taking care of the people. There is another weight on him I'm trying to explain to you. And here's what God says to him. The Lord, for, the Lord therefore said to Moses, Gather me 70 men from the elders of Israel, and whom you know to be elders of the people and their officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them stand there with you. And I will come down and speak with you there, and I'll take the spirit that's on you, and I'll put it on them. And they shall bear, they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so you will not bear it alone. Verse 24, so Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. So he had gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and stationed them around the tent. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him. And he took, the, he took of the spirit who was on, upon him and he placed it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested on, upon them, they prophesied, but they never did it again. I'm so, uh, you know, we've been in the middle of COVID, obviously, and obviously, thankfully, we're moving away from that, but I got really sick with COVID. I, was, I got really sick, and I was in bed for nine days. Uh, I was in bed for nine days, but I was sick for like six weeks. I was so sick. I was so fatigued. The bathroom was about 40 or 50 feet from the bed, and I could barely get to the toilet. I would sit on the toilet just shaking from, couldn't eat. And I think the intensity of it was, you know, if you have a flu or something, every day you feel a little better. But for, nine, eight, eight, for seven days, I didn't feel one bit better. The doctor came to our house twice, Julie Winter, thankfully, my close friend, our close friend. And the seventh day, I'd laid there for seven straight days. 
And you know how it is when you're sick and you're, you, you don't, you're like you sleep and don't sleep right. You kind of catnap and you fall asleep and you're awake and you're asleep. And I woke up the seventh day. I woke up early in the morning. I don't remember how. I woke up many times. So it was probably four or five or six in the morning. And the Holy Spirit was waiting for me. And he said to me, you must get out of this bed. It is time for you to help. It is time for you to lead this people out of this crisis. And I said in tears, I can't even get to the toilet. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this bed. And the next morning, same thing. Around the same time, woke up. And when I, as soon as I came awake, the Holy Spirit was waiting for him. He said, you must get out of this bed. It's time for you to lead this people out of this crisis. I have anointed you to lead this people out of this crisis. I'm sure you anointed many other people. Let me be clear. And we've been in an intense season. A very intense season. You all know this. You know, I have a lot of compassion for the Pharisees and Sadducees nowadays. I know some of our enemies are like, yeah, it's because you're one. I was thinking about the story of this Good Samaritan, you know. And you know what happens? I I don't know if you remember the story, but, you know, there's a guy who gets beat up, and there's the Sadducee, and he sees the guy beat up in the street. You know, you can imagine a head. And he crosses the street. He crosses the street for the same reason you and I avoid pain, because he knows that if he connects with that, he'll have to do something. He realizes that he may be a Sadducee or Pharisee, but he realizes that he has human compassion that will turn on if he encounters a beat-up man bleeding in the street. The next guy is the uh, the Pharisee, and he sees the same situation, and he looks ahead, and he's like, yeah, if I encounter that, I'll have to do something about it. And then there's a Samaritan. And honestly, the guy has the same issues you and I have. He's busy. He's, his life is full already. But he doesn't change. He doesn't avoid the pain. He encounters the man in his pain. And he does what he can. He bandages the guy up. But he also is too busy. So he takes the guy and he takes him in the end, probably like a hospice or something. And he says to the hospice, take care of this man until he's well. When I return, I'll... I'll pay for it. And my point is, he does what he can. He doesn't avoid the pain. And this has been a season, a crazy season. You know, we've had the social unrest, and we've had so many of our people hurting. In the middle of COVID, we have our our African-Americans and our black people. We have lots of people here who are black or not African-Americans because school ministry has drawn somebody black people, and we've uh, I think we've. I think I've had seven or six or seven or eight meetings with them. Just just engaging, just learning. We have, we have several of our staff, African American and Black staff, who couldn't when that whole incident occurred. They couldn't come to work. They literally were terrified. I mean, it's just easy to avoid, cross the street and make judgments. Especially when you don't have the answer. Or especially when you, they think you're part of the problem. Or maybe you are part of the problem. 
You don't even know if you're a part of the problem until you engage. Until you sit down, ask questions, and realize what you take for granted is hurtful to other people. Trying to navigate. It's not been an easy season. And then the Lord says, I'm going to do something so extraordinary that if I told you about it, you wouldn't even believe it. And I believe that in the midst of darkness, it's our time to rise. And I've been saying to the Lord, like, and we've got a great team here, amazing team, amazing teams everywhere. And probably, I don't know, maybe uh, three months ago or so, the Lord said to me, the spirit that's on you, I'm going to put on others. And I, I walked into a room. This, is, this has become common. I walk into the room of, of our teams, different teams. We have so many teams. We have 800 employees here. Walk in the room, and I suddenly can see, and I mean with my eyes, I can see the favor of the Lord on someone. And without saying anything to anyone, without talking to them, without praying for them, and not, and this, not, and, and not in, engaging even that, engaging that subject, I will look at them and suddenly they will fall down on the floor under the presence of God. And the Lord whispers in my ear, the 70 elders. I'm not talking about 70. I'm just talking about the spirit that's on you, the spirit that's on him, the spirit that's on. And I feel like the Lord is doing something so profoundly powerful right now that the Lord is not just raising up people that are administrative, have an administrative anointing. By the way, I don't mean just, like that have an administrative anointing. He's also raising up these people that can carry a whole movement in the middle of darkness that they can rise. Because the, the point is, is that we're about to do the great exchange, beauty for ashes, joy for mourning. Like as we're rising, we're gonna get a reward and that reward is, more responsibility. And if we're not careful, we'll cross the street thinking we don't have what it takes. And part of the challenge is that we don't realize that God is co-missioning us. Co-missioning, meaning, are you with me? He's in the mission. He's partnering with us. He's like, you arrange them in groups of 50, I'll multiply the bread. You arrange them in groups of 50, and I'll multiply the bread, and I'll distribute it to you, and you give it to them. And I'm thinking, i got to do this all. And I feel like the Lord is going to give us wisdom for administration, administration, and he's also going to put the spirit that's on you. You're like, oh, the spirit that's on Bill. No, the spirit's on you actually needs to be on others. Part of the, part of the challenge my concern is that so many people are avoiding responsibility because they're leading virtual lives that keep them in hiding. Many of us are living on social media connecting with virtual friends who only know us by our profiles and our shop, Photoshop pictures. Yet the most destructive ramification of, fatherless, of this fatherless generation are kids who were raised by virtual parents. Video games have taken the place of real people. It's common nowadays for kids to know their machines better than they know their folks, if they even have folks. 
Consequently, an increasing number of fatherless families are being raised on government subsidies and welfare programs. 51% of all children in America are born out of wedlock. You want to know why socialism is growing in our country? These days, many kids are growing up with a closer relationship with Uncle Sam than they have with their biological father. I'm saying people, we are the most fatherless generation in the history of, a, of the world in which our fathers are alive but not home. I pre preached on this two years ago. I'm saying, when I say more responsibility, fatherless kids, mothers and fathers, even adults are coming who have no social skills because they've been raised by machines. Are you with me at all? And I'm saying part of the challenge is, is that the, 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 the church has caught the American dream, which is exotic vacations and retirement at 50. Like we think, God's going to reward me with exotic vacations and I'm going to make enough money to retire at 50. Listen, retire whenever you want, but I want to tell you, you weren't born to retire. Listen, I don't care if you retire. I don't care if you have nice things. We have nice things, nice houses, nice cars, even red Corvettes. It's all good. As long as you don't think that's the reward because the reward is more responsibility. And you know what happens when you retire? and you just go fishing, and you feed your own soul all the time with what you want to do all the time, you lose purpose in life, and pretty soon you're either dead or insignificant. Because you were born to pour your life into other people. This is the life cycle of the kingdom. Listen, listen, this is the life cycle. I'm bored, go invest in somebody. Life has no meaning. There's people all around who are waiting for you. They're waiting for the anointing on you. They're waiting for the gift that's on you. Can you see this? The American dream is not the kingdom dream. The kingdom dream is you did good with a little good. I'm going to make you so busy. I heard Bill's message the other day about uh, busyness is, uh, what do you say, false significance. And I completely agree with that. The other side of it is, like, laziness is the same. Like, there's nothing anointed about lazy. I'm resting. For years. I mean, the Lord built the whole world and rested a day. You've been off for years. Some people are like, the Lord's teaching me to rest. No, you need to get a job. Uh, you're resting seven days a week. You need to learn to work six. You know what I'm saying? And I'm pointing out that there is so much reward and anointing and doing what God's called you to do. But we need the mind of Christ because where we're going, you can be just busy instead of actually effective in what you do. But don't be surprised if the Lord calls you out of your comfort zone and puts you in a war zone and calls it a reward. You're like, Lord, something bad's happening. It's like, no, something good's happening. I'm finally getting you to actually have the impact I created you for. It's time to think creatively. It's time to realize. And yes, you know, I hope that I gave you the whole gamut. Like Moses doing what God told him to do, but can't do it until he meets Jethro. Jethro in our lives. Because we're like, I don't know how I'd do anything else. And it's like, because you're doing what you're doing without a strategy, a spirit-led strategy. <laughs> Made that word up, you like it? 
You need a spirit-led strategy because you doing more will kill you. You're like, I won't have time to sleep. And it's like, I'm not saying just do more. I'm talking about the reward is more responsibility. Not necessarily being busier, but being smarter. Some of you, doing something would be busier. We have a wide audience. So if you're offended, I am talking to you. There's not one person in this room or watching on Bethel TV or YouTube that I'm not talking to. I know if you're anything like me, sometimes someone's preaching, Bill will be preaching, I'm like, oh, I wish my neighbor was here. (laughs) This ain't your neighbor's message. This is your message. Because no matter where you are, there's more. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.